Welcome back to Be True. Hello. I'm here in the studio with Lottie. Um, I just like to say that I really like her new intro music. Yeah, I'm me really too. feeling it. Warms me up. <laughs> Got the dance Get moves a, uh, before dance you go move into on before we, uh, dive into the poetry. Um, so last week we were here with hellos, new beginnings, fresh mm -hmm. starts, inspiration. And today we've jumped right to the other end of this and we're going to be talking about goodbyes oh, ending sadness griefs don't be too sad beetroot will still be continuing but <laughs> we're, we're not going anywhere we just uh <laughs> we want to make sure you appreciate us is all we're saying exactly um so what poem did you bring in Lottie? I brought with me today a poem by Natalie Diaz, who is a Native American poet um, from the Gila River Indian tribe. Um, and this is from her collection, Post-Colonial Love Poem. Mm -hmm. uh, the poem is called Grief Work, and I picked up this collection in a bookshop somewhere, and I haven't been able to put it down since. And when you said goodbyes, um, I immediately thought of this poem. Uh, and it's in the title, Grief Work. Yeah. So, uh, Do you want to read it for us? Oh, why not? Why, <laughs> I before mean. I say goodbye, I'll read this for you. <laughs> <laughs> Grief Work. Why not now go toward the things I love? I have walked slow in the garden of her, gazed the black flower dilating her animal eye. I give up my sorrows, the way a bull gives its horns, astonished and wishing there is rest in the body's softest parts. Like Jacob's angel, I touched the garnet of her hip, and she knew my name and I knew hers. It was Oxychromo, it was Chromophoro, it was Eliza. When the eyes and lips are brushed with honey, what is seen and said will never be the same. So why not take the apple in your mouth, in flames, in pieces, straight from the knife's sharp edge? Achilles chased Hector around the walls of Ilium three times. How long must I circle the high gate, between her hip and knee, to solve the red-gold geometry of her thigh? Again, the gods put their large hands in me, move me, break my heart, like a clay jug of wine, loosen a beast from some dark long depth. My melancholy is hoofed, I, the terrible, beautiful lampon, a shining devour horse tethered at the bronze manger of collarbones. I do my grief work with her body, labour to make the emerald tigers in her throat leap. Lead them, burning green to drink from the deep violet jetting her breast. We go where there is love, to the river, on our knees beneath the sweet water. I pull her under four times, until we are rivered, we are rearranged. I wash the silk and silt of her from my hands. Now, who I come to, I come clean to, I come good to. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Such a tender poem. Yeah, it feels like a hug. It really does. Like a very slow, mm. tight embrace. Yeah, really reassuring as well. <sighs> where to begin? Why not go toward the things I love is where she begins. Yeah. Um, and why not? Um, I actually really enjoy it. Sometimes we bring in longer poems mm -hmm. and we just have so much to explore. Um, but this one's 
it's it's not not long but it's definitely shorter than a lot of the stuff we yeah. usually bring in and it's really nice to do some close reading then and this yeah. poem really offers that opportunity to you yeah for sure it has some beautiful beautiful images mm. like that's really um this is obviously the first time that i hear it so i think i have a very different reaction to it yeah um but, but the first time i read it as well i was like wow there are so many things capturing my attention there's so yeah. so much beautiful imagery that's evoking the sadness and the joy within me yeah i think one of my favorite images um is when she's talking about honey on eyelids mm. like do you yep, have that when part? the eyes and lips are brushed with honey oh, I for just me i was just like yeah once you've tasted sweetness you never you never forget it like as a kid i, I don't think i can specifically remember the moment i tasted sugar mm. like a sweet that your parent maybe gives you when you're when you've been good as a reward but i'm sure as soon as the child tastes that first sweet they just want it so bad yeah it's all they ever want yeah um, for sure yeah how do you think this poem like mixes because there is quite a desire for for life you know like i want to go towards the things i love mm. but at the same time of course there's sort of this deep underlying grief and sadness like how do you think those two things intermix here well throughout the whole poem um diaz is alluding to a female figure mm -hmm. or um i also interpret it to mean that grief is a woman mm -hmm. and grief is this woman that she has this relationship with mm. um and it's work to be with this woman it's grief work mm. um the lust for life sort of follows her through the poem um, and it's tossed up and reorganized so many times um, with images from you know western history mm. it's uh, she says like Jacob's angel I touched the garnet of her hip um, and this is something from Genesis mm -hmm. Jacob actually wrestles with an angel um, and is visited in the night um, and the angel asks Jacob what is your name so that the angel can rename him um, Israel mm. and this image I think she's pulling it towards her own grief work because she's having to wrestle with this this divine figure that appears like an angel mm. um, and I also did some reading on this biblical metaphor and artists have used it used it uh, previously to sort of attribute their work to a process or, or a feeling of mm. process um as wrestling with the angel this pure deity uh, divine being that you and you're trying to tackle yeah, it down and put it into like, words Come here. <laughs> and the angel it, the angel appears to you but once it's there and the thing is the reward that jacob has and the the reason why the angel sticks around is jacob never for one second stops wrestling with the angel and the angel's like jacob is sunlight you can stop like <laughs> give it a rest and he's like no i'm not gonna because the second i do i lose yeah um so it's this persistence um i love that as a metaphor has. for creativity and like yeah i mean you can probably imagine the kind of person who read the bible and was like that is definitely a metaphor for my creativity <laughs> but Baudelaire, what do you think <laughs> well, learn in the studio uh, today <laughs> It's uh, it's pretty abstract if if you ask me. <laughs> wow, we said we weren't having guest monster. I know, crazy. <laughs> um, but it, the way that she uses it, I think, is a really nice reappropriation of it. Mm -hmm. And Natalie Diaz, you know, she's Native American, um, and she's a language activist. Also, 
I found out a professional basketball player. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Oh my God. Crazy. Poet slash basketball player. I know. I was like, wow, LeBron James, eat your heart out. <laughs> <sighs> so, I mean, fun fact. Um, but she's a language activist and it struck me how in this poem she's alluding to certain tropes from the Western world mm. and from classical antiquity and from biblical tales and reappropriating them to mean something entirely different it's kind mm -hmm. of you know the master's tools can only bring down the master's house yeah um and she's reinventing their poeticness in a way um i really love the the line that follows this it was oxychromo it was chromophoro and these two um it's spanish for uh oxychrome and chromophone uh chromophore Scientists write in chromophore um, and it's the two molecules that are responsible for the absorption of light and the colour. So mm. a leaf reacts with chlorophyll. I'm not a scientist. I'm just... Yes. Uh, <laughs> we are merely literature are, students. So. <laughs> any help is really appreciated. Yeah. Um, but that's why the, the pigment in leaves is green. Um, mm. And I think this grief is almost like that element of a, of a molecule. It's responsible for so many colours in our lives and the way that light gets out, the way we let light out or let light mm -hmm. in. Um, then she says, it was Eliza. And in Hebrew, this means my God is an oath. I haven't figured out fully what that means yet, but mm -hmm. I, I think it's a beautiful way to end the scientific allusion to how we let light in and let light escape and then end with a woman's name um alluding to god mm. and then to go into your favorite line when the eyes and lips are brushed with honey mm. you know what this makes me think about recently i've been really sort of thinking about how we deal with grief in sort of western societies and how we're one of the few kind of places in the world where grief is is so radically kind of um made scientific and like a process mm. and there's the stages of grief and then you get over it and and i was listening to this podcast um and one of the stories in the podcast was this woman's best friend had passed away and she had promised her friend that she would put the letters that her son had written to her throughout her life in her tombstone and she forgot about this and um, a few months later, the postman of their small village dies. And so she goes to the family. And she's like, can I give the letters to the postman so that he'll deliver them, you know, oh, to my wow. friend in the afterlife. But what this made me think about was how, you know, like also the allusions to all of these myths and angels and religion, be it in so many ways. You know, we live in such a, a secular place where our relationship to grief is nearly or to death and to like beings that are beyond life mm. is so kind of ridiculized, you know, but we all maintain relationships with the people in our lives that have passed away somehow, you know? Yeah. And I feel that this is a very nice exploration of that, especially in the title, like grief works, you know, it's, it's an ongoing relationship. Mm. There's something that remains there. It's not as black and white of a, of a, of a limit between living and the dead yeah it's a lot of work and it's a work that is never finished you're mm. always and i think what's nice is she really identifies the storytelling in grief mm. not just the storytelling that may arise from the passing of a loved one but also the stories we tell ourselves 
when we are grieving. Mm. Um, and she's rewriting the traditional ways of, of seeing grief or, you know, grappling with grief. Um, mm. And when she mentions Jacob's angel, she, she says, no, but she knew my name and, and I knew hers. Like the recognition was there. Mm. Jacob is a little bit clueless in this, in this um, story. Um, and she's absolutely certain. She has such a, a grip upon grief mm. that she's able to pen this poem as well. The way a bull gives its horns. That mm. made me think of, I mean, immediately, also with the, with the Spanish um, two molecules in this poem, it made me think of a, of a Toro bull. Mm. Um, but also the bowing of a bull, how that could ever be gentle. And it sounds as if here the bull is offering its horns, it's not charging. I'm pretty sure she would have used the words charging had the bull had that malicious intent. Yeah. Um, and grief doesn't come like that. It doesn't come charging towards you with its horns. It offers them and, and you explore these horns and they they can pierce your skin. You know, mm. they're quite dangerous things, but you learn that as and when. Yeah, and it's also interesting because I feel like she's really... Again, she blurs that line between life and death. Like she's mm. grappling with both interchangingly. One informs the other and it's all kind of flowing and tender. And there's this, you know, yeah, like she's in that limbo space in between. Mm. Yeah. And she goes on um, to allude to class ideas of classical antiquity so Achilles chased Hector around the walls of Ilium three times when I read this um th so the story goes that Hector's like okay guys I don't think that this is the way to fight is the Trojan war like it's been going on a while he's like I'm gonna fight Achilles I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it he's an honorable guy and then Achilles who's this big hero of Greece is like okay let's do it and Hector just sort of says ah maybe not no no yeah. so then he chases um uh, Achilles chases Hector around the city and Zeus is looking down from above his cloud like shouldn't we do something shouldn't we help and Athena oh my god says nope it's his destiny it's fine and I sometimes feel that this is a great metaphor for grief in itself because you do grieve and you from time to time appeal to some divine entity to intervene mm -hmm. and give you a bit of a break but Athena ultimately is on the other end, you know, the voice of reason saying, this is their destiny. You've got to like let this play out, Zeus. And Zeus yeah. is like, shouldn't we like just throw Hector a line <laughs> or something? Um, and the, the story doesn't go that way. Mm. But Natalie Diaz is still inquiring, how long must I circle? There's still yeah. so much uncertainty with the journey of grief. Um, and it's really a, a journey she takes us on. And I feel like she comes to a couple of conclusions towards the end mm -hmm. which is so apt because grief won't ever leave you wet e I'm not sure it does conclude but mm -hmm. the conclusions it will try to offer you mold with the path your life will take and they grow as you grow mm -hmm. and she says I do my grief work with her body and trauma ultimately remains on the body from mm -hmm. what I've learned. Um, and I think that's the only way you can do your grief work is to really acknowledge your body in the universe 
of your loss mm-hmm. and to let that exist in however it wants to mm-hmm. um to let it crumble or to let it rebuild mm-hmm. um and this is when i thought okay i think grief as a woman i think grief as a woman grief as a mother grief is definitely a maternal um yeah essence that comes into your life suddenly and abruptly but ultimately wants to take care of you um and then she goes on we go where there is love and mm. That I, I had nothing to write next to that. I thought, yeah, we do go where there, we do go where there is love. Yeah. Ultimately, that's all we want. And grief is the real big punchline of that because you think it takes it away, but it only makes it stronger. It solidifies yeah. it in such a, a testament to time. Maybe that's the thing. That's why you can't, even if you try in our secular society, to draw a line between the living and the dead between life and death it's like love is a is this bridge mm. and you don't stop loving the people that pass away so you continue to have relationships with them and it's you know that line cannot be drawn because there is the love because we go towards the things we love even if we have to cross yeah very strange paths to do it because the person is not there mm. in body anymore i don't usually talk so much about the bible i just like to put that out there <laughs> Um, not a God-fearing man at all. <laughs> Our next guest Our after Baudelaire, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but there's actually a hymn we used to sing in school called Set Me as a Seal Upon Your Heart, for love is strong as death. And I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Like if love were ever to meet its match in the arena of <laughs> life, then I think it would be death. <laughs> ding, 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 on one side. In the red corner. Um, and... She goes on to include the image of the river um, and she takes us to the river until we are rivered, we are rearranged. And yeah, that really got me actually. I wash the silk and silt of her from my hands. She's washing away the grief um, or what she thinks is the grief. I think this is all temporary for Mm -hmm. her. Um, Now who I come to, I come clean to, I come good to. Yeah, I don't want to analyze that at all. No, me no. neither. I just want to <laughs> just want to look into your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody Ooh. could just see us in the studio right now. Wow, this is a beautiful poem. Thank you so mm. much for bringing it in, Natalie Diaz. Natalie colonial love poem. Go get it now because Faber put it in there. I don't know if you're uh, um, familiar with the Faber collections, but I always kind of have them pinned as publishers of of white men but they've really found a gem i think in natalie diaz and yeah she's she's getting the money she's earning the rewards man <laughs> like she's she's an accoladed professional basketball player poet this is amazing pay attention what did you bring in to make me cry <laughs> we're really gonna shed all the tears oh today. i haven't cried like this since biffin came and visited us yeah <laughs> um so I brought something quite different. I think it's interesting the way we're going about it today because we're, I think we're going much more into close reading than mm. we usually do. But so there is this poetry collection by a French poet called Paul Éluard um, that's called Le Temps des Bordes, which means time overflows. And I read this collection when I was in high school. We studied it in class mm. and it just really, really marked me. I just remember it. It's it's a beautiful collection. So he wrote, he started writing the collection before his wife passed away. 
Um, so there's these five poems um, that are just full with love and life. But there's like, it's strange because I wonder if he rewrote them after or if he left them as is. But there is this like sort of shadowy presence of something that's about to happen, which is very kind of mystical. Mm. Um, and then halfway through the collection, there's a blank page. And the words are very spaced out. And it says, I'll just read the version in English. It says, 28th of November, 1946. We will not grow old together. Here is one day too much. Time overflows. My love so light takes on the weight of agony. And I think the main thing that has remained with me of this collection was this image of time overflowing because I always pictured it in my head. They were together for 20 years and they lived their life completely side by side. Mm -hmm. So like if you imagine two lines kind of growing and advancing next to each other mm. and then one of the lines stopping and the other one just kind of overflowing on top of it, yeah. you know, there's too much time now. This is the day entre, the day too much. We don't want this day. You know, mm. we have all this time that's overflowing. Yeah. And I didn't write this day in my in my calendar. Exactly. And he doesn't know what to do with it. And I think this collection is very much writ written in the, you know, beginnings of this enormous grief. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's no kind of conclusion or uh, kind of answers like this collections. And there will be later on, like in the poems that he writes, you know, he finds little things. But this collection here is just heartbreaking because it's just written so freshly in that moment of pain. And he's so in love with this person and this person is not there anymore and he can't rationalize it. He can't talk about it. He's completely distraught. Um, and there's a few poems that I really like, but the one I chose today mm. is called Negation de la Poésie, mm -hmm. Negation of Poetry. Um, I'm going to read it in French first yeah um, because I i'm a french person <laughs> i am a french person if you have not noticed j'ai pris de toi tout le souci tout le tourment que l'on peut prendre à travers tout à travers rien aurais-je pu ne pas t'aimer ô oh, toi rien que gentillesse comme une pêche après une autre pêche aussi fondante que l'été tout le souci tout le tourment de vivre encore et d'être absent d'écrire ce poème au lieu du poème vivant, que je n'écrirai pas. Puisque tu n'es pas là, les plus ténus desseins du feu préparent l'incendie ultime. Les moindres miettes de pain suffisent aux mourants. J'ai connu la vertu vivante, j'ai connu le bien incarné. Je refuse ta mort, mais j'accepte la mienne. Ton ombre qui s'étend sur moi, je voudrais en faire un jardin. L'arc débandé, nous sommes de la même nuit, et je veux continuer ton immobilité et le discours inexistant qui commence avec toi et qui finira en moi. Avec moi, volontaire, obstiné, révolté, amoureux comme toi, des charmes de la terre. Um, so... Oh, that was nice. So I wrote the translation myself. Um, so I think it's quite a personal translation. Mm, I'm sure anyone else would do it quite differently. Um, so negation of poetry. I took from you all the pain, all the torment that one can take through everything, through nothing. Could I have not loved you? Oh, you nothing but kindness, like a peach after another peach, as melty and tender as summer. All the pain, all the torment, of still being alive, of being absent, of writing this poem, instead of the living poem that I will not write. 
because you are not here. The most tenuous images of flames prepare for the ultimate fire. The smallest breadcrumbs are enough for the dying. I have known living virtue. I have known goodness embodied. I refuse your death, but I accept mine. Your shadow lays on me. I would like to make it a garden. I am of the same night as the limp string of a bow and arrow unlaunched. I want to continue your immobility where it left off, and the unexisting speech that starts with you and finishes in me. With me, volunteer, obstinate, revolted, in love like you, with the charms of this earth. Mm. So I think what's interesting to know is that Paul-Éloire was part of the surrealist movement in the 20s in France, so a big part of their writing was kind of to free poetry from logic and from kind of the values of that time. And for example, he wrote um, the famous line, la terre est bleue comme une orange, uh, the earth is blue like an orange. Oh. Um, so, you know, a lot of his writing was about trying to capture an essence or, you know, a kind of truth beyond logic, bef mm. beyond kind of traditional enlightenment um, values. Yeah. Um, but so he's kind of struggled with like language and speech throughout his whole career and like thinking about that. And now he comes here with this poem called Negation of Poetry. And it's like there's this abandonment as well as this anger that just mm. this is not the poem that he wants to be yeah, writing this he is not want to write this poem he does not want to write this poem you know he says you know the torment of having to write this poem mm. instead of the living poem you know yeah having to use these words you mm. know and also if you look at the poem there's absolutely no punctuation like even when there's the question like could i have not loved you there's no question mark the only punctuation there is is a full stop at the end mm. like i really the reason I think I'm so touched by this collection is that I just feel like it's coming straight from the heart onto yeah. the page. There's no, you know, he's not trying to make sense. I mean, there's parts of the poem that I don't really understand that much, you know, like, for example, the most tenuous images of flame prepare for the ultimate fire. The smallest breadcrumbs are enough for the dying. Mm. You know, these are very beautiful images, but, you know, he's not trying to communicate anything that would yeah. make sense. He's just completely overflown in his very uncompromised love. as well mm. he's not gonna let any structure or form get in the way of his expression mm. um and i think every poet experiences that but for a moment in in their career in their yeah in their life i think being a poet is something that depends on livelihood mm. um yeah it made me think actually also putting it alongside what we've just talked about with Natalie mm -hmm. Diaz perhaps grief is not an emotion it's not a idea it's not an object it's a person because mm -hmm. when we think about grief automatically we're drawn to a person who we've lost mm. so whenever we talk about grief I feel like it always comes with the association of who we've lost and therefore it can never be it's more of a name. It's a name for a person. Like, who, yeah. who is grief? Not what is grief, more so who. And I think for, how do you say his name? Your poet, how do you say his name? Palais Luar. Palais Luar. I think for Palais Luar, 
um, it's his wife mm-hmm. is the embodiment of grief and he's just getting to know her all over again. Yeah. It's like getting to know those who have passed all over again on the terms of grief. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, I know I said that I don't think he gives an answer, but I think in the last part of his poem, though, um, he's kind of, you know, he says, I, I refuse your death, but I accept mine. Mm. And he wants to um, he wants to continue this unexisting speech that starts with you and finishes in me. And I feel like, you know, and he says in the end, um, I volunteer to be in love with the charms of this earth like you were. And so there's kind of this idea that, I, I mean, I love the image of the bow and arrow, you know, like he's pulled the string of the bow mm. and arrow, life was going, and then all of a sudden he just kind of, it's been put back yeah, in place. It's, it's not been launched. But I think he somehow already has some sort of idea that he wants to continue her life for her. He wants to give her life. And he's not, he's struggling with this and it's not, you know, I think he's also trying to bring her alive somehow with the poem and he can't manage that. And that's why he changes from one idea to the next, like very quickly, um, trying to find a way to grasp her. Mm. But he can't, except maybe in the way that she lives on inside of him. Yeah. Well, he's been faced with a problem in some sense Mm -hmm. that he doesn't get the full stop that he was expecting with his wife. Mm. There's only one full stop in this poem, you said, and it's at the end. And Mm. it's kind of, I guess, what he had imagined for the both of them. And this realisation that I have to live for you, I have to go on living, um, is something that he's trying to find a solution for. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is grief work, the solution to the problem of the person who's missing. The solution of what you're going to do with all this extra time now, Mm. you know, the time that you don't necessarily want anymore. Yeah. And with a marriage, I imagine it's, you know, you choose that person. That's Mm. your most of the time. You choose that person um, and you made the commitment to be together in some way. Maybe it's not marriage, it could be in any other way, but losing that person feels like you lost out on the decision or you something was really taken away because they're family you've chosen. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also just, I feel the way that he describes her. I mean, he, he very shortly describes her, but I feel like these three lines are like this blast of light in this very dark poem because mm. it's just so beautiful. You know, he uses the O, like O, you know, of elegy. And he's like, O, you, nothing but kindness. You, like a peach after another Mm. peach. As melty, as tender as a summer. You know, you get this, like, little crack in the darkness of how much joy he's experienced, of how Mm. much he adores this person. And, you know, he says it. He says, you know, I have known what it is what living virtue is i have known goodness embodied mm. i have known the taste of a juicy peach after yeah. another juicy these peach. are the molecules that are coloring his life and letting the light in exactly mm. and you know those crack through in all of the the grief you know the the joy is interconnected with the sadness mm. there's not you know the love and the pain they don't exist without each other and yeah. i think that's what these poems also bring out is that it's you know, it's not pure sadness, pure, you know, darkness, mm. because all of this pain comes from a place of joy and of love. Yeah. 
and that's what makes it even more hard and complicated but it's also why these poems and poems in general about you know loss and grief are just so beautiful and complex mm. it's kind of a clueless poem in a way because he he's writing frantically mm. trying to grasp what it is that she might have left behind before she did leave mm-hmm. i definitely think there's a difference in the loss between because this is such a, a loss of love his mm-hmm. wife and the loss of a family member it's inevitable you know you will you will say goodbye to your family members at some point that they will your parents will outlive you or mm-hmm. it'll be unfortunate enough that you do not outlive your parents but with your romantic partner you're kind of making yourself vulnerable and opening yourself up to the fact that oh i don't know which one of us is going to go it's mm-hmm. it's this russian roulette that i'm entering of who's going to have to live on without the other and in his case it's him my um my grandmother lost her husband and she had to stay behind and she always she lived alone after that she lived quite near us but still she lived alone and she said it takes a lot of bravery to live by yourself yeah and I remember that and I think this is his prologue to the bravery yeah that he's about to go into yeah going on yeah and I want to read um another very short poem which is the last poem of the collection um it's called our life Mm -hmm. and i think that's also um an interesting title for because you know it's not his life he envisioned this life for them together Mm -hmm. our life so when she lost her life everything became convoluted and complicated but in this last poem he tries to simplify it and he tries to tell the story nearly from an outsider point of view as in thousands and thousands of years from another generation and he imagines this utopia where we now do not live one by one but two by two and it goes we will not go one by one to the goal but two by two knowing each other by two we will all know each other we will all love each other and our children will laugh at the dark legend where the solitary man cries. And that's the last poem of his collection. Mm. Um, And, you know, he just imagines this utopia where, you know, two by two, hand by hand, we move towards death and we fall off the cliff at the same time and everybody goes two by two, so Mm. we all know each other and love each other and it's only merely a dark legend now of those people who had to cry alone, you know? Yeah, and it's a very sad poem. It mm. doesn't really have any light, um, but I think it's just heartbreaking and beautiful. Mm. Heartbreaking <laughs> and beautiful. That's what this episode has been, I guess. Yeah, oh. exactly. Well, to reassure you all that we're not going anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, we have some exciting news. We do. Do you want to tell us about it, Lottie? Okay. <laughs> so, just around the corner from us is the wonderful, beautiful, miraculous Purdue. Purdue. I think it's just called Purdue. Purdue. Yeah. Uh, it's a poetry platform, publishing house, uh, maker of all things, and wizard 
uh, school. <laughs> um, and they have uh, given us the opportunity to take Beetroot live. Yes. You may have noticed that we haven't been having guests on the programme just because it's super difficult to organise these things in Corona. We don't know what's happening. These are uncertain times. But we will be gathering in small numbers to host an event where we take the podcast into the live setting. So we invite a guest speaker uh, to come and talk poetry with us. We choose a subject and we get down. Exactly. <laughs> if you like our 30 minutes of beetroot, get ready Wait for, for one hour, hour and a half. <laughs> we'll see how long it goes. <laughs> There'll be a short break with wine, with food, with cheese, with everything in a socially distanced atmosphere. Exactly. So we're not going anywhere. Actually, we're going uh, <laughs> just around the we're corner. We're just going around the corner. Beetroot Street, they've hailed it now, actually, I, I hear. They've, uh, <laughs> beetroot Street, yeah. Beetroot no. Street. Um, Indeed. Well, well, thanks for tuning in today and goodbye, but just for now. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs>